0: And so we're going to uh, continue in it tonight and be thankful. Man, I love hearing stories about how people... Listen, there's a lot of things, and I'll say this to you guys. There's a lot of things, and I think I'm talking to my to the fam in here tonight, right? There's a lot of pe- things that we can sometimes fuss about in church. And we talk about, and it may be the style of worship to what we wear or whether or not the pastor has a beard. Yeah. We can <laughs> fuss about all kind of stuff. And you know what? People who do not know the Lord and are lost from him don't care one thing about any of those things we fuss about. They just want to be loved and cared for, really. And so that is really what matters for us. And so to hear those stories of people feeling loved and cared for here is a blessing to us as a church, right? And it's okay. Just take your time. It's all right. I'm not mad. It may be important. Who knows? That may be a million-dollar phone call for you right there. Genesis 32, thank y'all for those testimonies and may we hear more of them. Go out of your way. The Bible tells us to go out of our way to show love to one another. Y'all know that? Do something out of your way to do that. And so let's, let's, let's do that. Let's go out of our way to do it. We pick up here with Jacob in Genesis 32. And to say that Jacob is in between a rock and a hard place would be putting it somewhat as an understatement. We left off in 31, and he finally had cut ties with Laban, his his uh, uncle, who he had been with for 20 years, who he had worked for seven for Rachel, and his uncle flipped a script on him, and he got Leah. And then he worked for seven more for her, and then he worked for six more before he could get out of this. And finally, to get out of his relationship with with Laban, he had to sneak off in the middle of the night and take off. He had all of his his, uh, his sheep and everything, the Waffle House sheep. Y'all remember that from last week? The scattled, the, the mottled, coddled, and foddled. All, all of those kind of sheep, he had those, he snuck out and he got away. And finally, Laban caught up with him. And And, and if you remember, Jacob was afraid. He was afraid to meet Laban. He was afraid to run into him, Laban. But when Jacob met Laban, what happened? Even though he was scared, Jacob met Laban and stood up to him with boldness and said, you're not going to do this. I'm going to keep going. And here's how it's going to work. And Jacob met Laban. And even though he was scared for that, meet up even though he was scared for that confrontation he stepped up with boldness and remember we talked about the the mama's boy now is acting like a man and he speaks for himself and he steps up with boldness there but now he's settled that and and in there if you remember back at galid he has Established some stones and some rocks and put them up and they said, we're not crossing this. And so him and Laban had come to an agreement. They were separating, but they had put this stone partition up there that was coming between them. And so they came to that agreement and Laban wouldn't cross it coming over to Jacob's territory and Jacob wouldn't go back over into Laban's territory. If they did, the agreement would be broken and and hostility could break out. So now Jacob can't go backwards. He can't go back, he'll have to face Laban again. He's only got to go forward, but guess what going forward means? Going forward means he's got to face his brother Esau. And in chapter 32, that is what dominates this scene here. What dominates the scene is Jacob and Esau, in his fear of Esau. In fact, the name Esau recurs occurs, I think, nine times in chapter 32. I mean, this is this is what's on his mind. So Jacob went on his way, that's from Laban, and the angels of God met him. Now remember, we've also discussed Jacob's kind of journey in faith. And we've seen these growth points in him. We saw him uh, being uh, deceiving his dad, deceiving his brother, stealing the birthright. We saw all of that. We saw him have that. What that cost him, having to leave his family and his mama. He had to leave all those things. And we saw along the way how now he worked hard and he he got out. You know the one who was the deceiver got out deceived by, by Laban. And he recognized here the wrongness of that. And you start to see him grow a little bit on the way to Laban. He had the confrontation with the Lord. And you start to see his growth in these things. Well, now you see this a little bit here because God is with him. He's blessed him. We saw all of that in the last chapter. When Jacob saw them, he said, this is God's camp. So he called the name of that place Mahanaim. And so ultimately he's saying, God is with me. I'm dwelling with the Lord. In verse 3, and Jacob sent messengers before him. So Jacob, comfortable there, God's camp, but he knows he can't stay there. He's got to go back home. And going back home means he's got to confront Esau. And Jacob sent messengers before him to Esau, his brother, in the land of Seir, the country of Edom, instructing them, Thus you shall, shall say to my Lord Esau. Now, Jacob was afraid of the confrontation with Laban, but when he met Laban, he had boldness. Now, Jacob's afraid of the confrontation with Esau, but you're going to see a little bit different thing coming out of Jacob here. There's no boldness. In fact, he's terrified. He's terrified of what may happen. Remember when we left off this thing, Esau said, I'll die in peace after what? I kill him, I'll die in peace. And so now, Jacob is terrified of what may come. He can't go backwards. He can only go forward. And he knows it's going to mean a confrontation with Esau. So he goes ahead and starts calling him Lord Esau. Thus says your servant, Jacob, I have sojourned with Laban and stayed until now. I have oxen, donkeys, flocks, male servants, female servants. I have sent to tell my Lord in order that I may find favor in your sight. He sends a runner out ahead. Just gauge how high Esau still is, right? And tell him if he's hot, I got all kind of stuff I can give him. He's, I got, he's got swag. He's been on to, to going to Laban. He's coming back with some gear. You can have whatever you want. So just go gauge how mad Esau still is. And what you see here is another little piece of the growth in Jacob. Because in this moment, you see Jacob's conscience is a little bit seared. What what happened before was he was afraid of that confrontation with Laban. Laban hunted him down. They had to meet up, but he stood bold. Why? Because he had done right with Laban. He had only acted right. He had worked hard for Laban. He had increased Laban's wealth. He had done everything he, he said to do. So he was in good conscience before Laban that he had done exactly what he should have done. But when it comes to Esau, a crossed conscience or a seared conscience will cause you to cower down, right? And be a little bit more afraid. And even as you see in chapter 33, not to skip ahead, because who would want to ever do that? You see when Esau's coming toward him, we'll find out that Jacob is bowing down over and over and over again, just hoping Esau is not mad. Here he tells these messengers, you see this seared conscience. He's got to face Esau. He can't go back. His conscience is seared by this. So he tells him, go tell Esau that I've got all kind of stuff I'll give him. Make sure to call him Lord. That makes him feel better too. And the messengers return to Jacob saying, we came to your brother Esau and he is coming to meet you. (laughs) That's not what Jacob wanted to hear. He's coming to meet you, and there are 400 men with him. This is not good news. Jacob is hearing this, and so now what does Jacob have to do? It says Jacob was greatly afraid. If y'all want to know what greatly afraid means, that joker was scared. Y'all see? We're going to talk about wrestling in a little bit. I'm going to go ahead and get y'all ready. So wrestling and scared. He was greatly afraid and distressed. He was trembling with fear of what may happen. And so he had to devise a plan in his mind. So he begins to make a plan. He divided the people who were with him, the flocks and the herds and the camels into two camps, thinking if Esau comes to one camp and attacks it, then that camp is left that the camp that is left will escape. The problem is he's going to have is who does he send to which camp? What does he do here? But ultimately, he's coming up with a plan. Let's divide so he can't get all of us. And then chapter, verse 9. In verse 9, Jacob said, O oh God, my father, Abraham, God of my father, Abraham, and God of my father, Isaac. What you have here, starting in verse 9 and going through verse 12, is the first prayer recorded of Jacob. And so Jacob begins to pray. And really when we see Jacob's prayer, in some ways, he's doing what we talk about, praying God's word back to him. He's, he's talking about all that God has done and he's admitting this. In fact, if we look, there's a couple things about Jacob's prayer that's really good. You can see the growth in Jacob and what he is doing, what he's doing. Jacob is acknowledging who, uh, acknowledged who he was talking to and what the Lord had said. He said, Oh God, my father, uh, God of my father Abraham and God of my father Isaac. You're the one who cared for Abraham and gave him the promises. You're the one who cared for Isaac and gave him the promises. Oh Lord, who said to me... Return to your country and to your kindred that I may do you good. In other words, he's saying, he's acknowledging who he's talking to. He's talking to the God of the promises that came to Abraham and Isaac. He's talking to the one who's been faithful to keep those promises all the way through Jacob. He's talking to the one that that has sent him back. I'm trying to be obedient to who you are. He's acknowledging his position underneath the Lord as you are the one who has done all of this. He's acknowledging who he is in our prayers What does the Lord Jesus, when he says, when you pray, pray like this, tell us to do? Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name, right? In some sense, Jacob's got this right. He's acknowledging who God is and what he's done. But then he confesses also his own unworthiness. We pray, we confess that we're not worthy. He says, I am not worthy of the least of all the deeds of steadfast love and all the faithfulness that you have shown to your servant." Here he's saying, I'm not worthy of anything you've shown me. So in praying, he's admitting that God is being gracious to him. He doesn't deserve his goodness. He doesn't deserve those things. Listen, when we come in prayer, we come humbly before the Lord, right? We come humbly admitting that there's nothing that we are asking for that, God, that we deserve in any way. If you think you go to the Lord and you deserve something from him, then you've misunderstood this relationship. And here, Jacob recognizes this. You're seeing his growth. He doesn't feel like he deserves something here. He's saying at this point, he's saying at this point, I'm not worthy of any of it. This is good for Jacob. He's learning. Then he says, also, he acknowledges God's faithfulness and blessing. He says, the faithfulness that you have shown to your servant I, and, and bless me with. For with only my staff I crossed this Jordan. Now I have become two camps. Look how great I have been blessed. Look at what you have done. This is all the Lord's doing. And then he makes, ultimately, his petition known to the Lord. He asks, please deliver me from the hand of my brother. Now we're getting to the crux of it. Don't let this, don't let this dude kill me. You know what I'm saying? And here comes the heart of that prayer for him. God, you are faithful. You were with Abraham. Let me remind you what who you are and what you've done. You're with Abraham, you're with Isaac. You've kept a blessing. You blessed me. I don't deserve it. I'm unworthy. Now don't let him kill me. Y'all know how that works? That's how my kids used to ask for oatmeal cream pies. You know what I'm saying? They go to their grandmama and they say, Nana, you are beautiful. Can I have oatmeal cream pie? You see how that works, right? So is Jacob. He's right. He's he's got the lingo down. And sometimes this is the same danger we fall into in church life. We know the language that we need to ought to be praying, right? But our hearts, our hearts are what the Lord looks to, not just our words. And what Jacob is after is he's in trouble and he needs some help to get out of trouble, right? He's in trouble and he needs some help to get out of trouble. He'll say what he needs to say to get out of trouble. I don't know if any of y'all know anybody like that. I know people like that. They'll say what they need to say to get out of trouble. So Jacob does here. It's right. Yeah, ask the Lord, plead. He appealed to God's promises, finally. But you said, Deliver me from the hand of Esau, for I fear him that he may come and attack me. The mothers with children, look at the moms. But you said, I will surely do you good and make your offspring as the sand of the sea, which cannot be numbered for multitude. There's a lot of good things about this prayer in this. He reminds the Lord of his promises. He holds fast to them. He thanks God for who he is. He recognizes that he's not worthy. And he makes his petition known to him. This is what we should be doing. But at the heart, what we see, though, is a little bit of a fault here for Jacob. And I think a lot of us fall into the same thing. When did Jacob pray compared to when did Jacob make his plans? Jacob made his plans first, didn't he? Jacob looked around and said, hey, I I tell you all what, y'all split up. Y'all get in two camps. We're going to do this right. Lord, please make my plans work. Y'all see how that works? Jacob goes and he goes ahead and makes a plan. And then he's asking God to bless his plan. He's asking God to say, here's my plan, now bless it. Whereas I think true submission looks a little bit different. Truly understanding who God is and what he does always means that we begin with prayer rather than we begin with a plan. And I'm not saying Jacob's plan would have changed. But what that does is oftentimes we put our plans ahead and then we ask God to bless our plans instead of putting God ahead and then we make plans understanding that God is in control. And hopefully you can see the difference here. Hopefully you can understand it. That what the Christian life should be about in submission to the Lord is that we put God first. We go to Him. We recognize we have nothing apart from Him. It's His promises, His care watching over us. We don't deserve any of it. He's the one that's good. Please, Lord, if it be in your good will, don't let this man kill me is a perfectly fine prayer to pray. And then responding to that by turning over and saying, now, Lord, what would you have me to do? Where would you have me to go would have been a better plan for Jacob. So even in the growth process, even though this prayer has the good churchy language with it, even in that you see that Jacob's still missing something in his submission to the Lord. He's still making his plan and hoping God will bless it rather than praying to God and making a plan with the understanding of who God is and what He's done. So he makes his plan, he prays God bless it, and then he stays there that night from what he had was he took a present from his brother Esau. He took a present, 200 female goats, 20 male goats, 200 ewes, and 20 rams, 30 milking camels and their calves, 40 cows and 10 bulls, 20 female. This dude really does not want to be killed by his brother. 20 female donkeys, 10 male donkeys. These he handed over to his servants, every drove by itself, and said to his servants, Pass on ahead of me, put a space between drove and drove. He instructed the first, When Esau, my brother, meets you and asks you, To whom do you belong? Where are you going? And whose are these ahead of you? Then you shall say, They belong to your servant Jacob. They are a present sent to my lord Esau. And moreover, he is behind. Behind us. He likewise instructed the second and the third and all who followed the droves. You shall say the same thing to Esau. You shall say the same thing to Esau when you find him. And you shall say, Moreover, your servant Jacob is behind us. For he thought, I may appease him with the present that goes ahead of me, and afterward I shall see his face. Perhaps he will accept me. Jacob's plan is to separate out all these gifts and put a space in between them and overwhelm Esau with these gifts, right? First come the goats, then come, I mean, y'all can go through the list. First is goats. If that doesn't make you happy, then you get 30 milking cows. I mean, that's all you need. And so it just keeps on going after this, overwhelming him with these gifts, overwhelming him. And they kept saying, Jacob's back there. Jacob's back there. And by the time hopefully he gets there, he's got so many cows and goats and everything else, he ain't got time to deal with Jacob. That's Jacob's plan. So Jacob looks at it. Now, I love what one commentator says, because here is, is how it seemingly is work, works to me. Jacob is looking at it and saying, Lord, you're in control. Please don't let this man kill me. And instead of facing his brother straight up like he probably should. Walking right up to him, not putting his animals or his everything else in display. It's between him and his brother. He's the one who's offended. He's now separated out. And what we'll find is you'll see even a little bit later how he does this. He puts the servants with the children in front. Leah with the children. All these other. What he does in chapter thirty-two, even as he stacks them up, is he's the one who goes up to Jacob. I mean, to Esau first. But what changes? Because it, at the end of verse. Uh, At the end of verse 21, Jacob is trying his best to appease Esau. He's prayed. He's saying he trusts God, but now he's coming up with a plan that he's devised here and hoping it works. He's not truly, ultimately submitted to the Lord. He's hoping his plan works. It's like uh, one commentator said, He had not really given up himself. It's like when we go to church and sing, y'all know the song, all to Jesus I surrender, all to him I freely give. Y'all know it, right? I I would sing it for you, but mm, I will ever love and trust him in his presence, daily live, I surrender all. Y'all remember that? It's like Jacob is going here, but what he really means is I surrender all the goats. And if you don't like that, I'll surrender all my milking cows. One at a time until maybe, maybe the Lord is fine, and he says that's enough. I surrender all my male donkeys, Lord. I surrender them all. And what we see here with Jacob is I think what is seen in evidence in so many of us, maybe in our own stories, right? We'll saying I surrender all, but what we really mean is let me give this over to you now and see if that's enough. Let me give this little piece of me to you here and see if that's sufficient. Let me give a little bit of this. I'm not ready to give over everything. I surrender all my goats or my cattle or whatever it is in your life. I'm willing to give this up, but not everything. So we may sing it and we may act like that's it. But as Martin Luther says, Christians don't just tell lies, they sing them too. Y'all hold on to that. (laughs) And ultimately we want to say I surrender all, but what we really mean is I'll give you a little bit at a time. We'll see if this works. And that's what he was doing with Esau. I'll give him a little bit here and see if that's sufficient. If that's not, I'll give a little bit more. If that's not, I'll give a little bit more. But what we need to know is that's not the way the Lord works. That's not the way he works. And so ultimately, here is is Jacob, worried and concerned, trembling with fear, as the scripture says, greatly afraid and distressed, Got a plan hoping it works, hoping God's blessing it. So he, uh, he goes off in verse 21. So the present passed on ahead of him and he himself stayed that night in the camp. Here he's staying back. The, the, the procession of animals has already started and now he's staying that night in the camp hoping this works. But what's happened here is Jacob's willing to give up everything but himself. And he gives all this stuff up. And that same night he arose, he took his two wives, his two female servants, his 11 children, and crossed the ford of the Jabbok. He took them and sent them across the stream and everything else he had. And Jacob was left alone. Jacob had sent everything ahead of him to Esau. All of his goats, but not only that, his wives, his children, everything he sent hoping that's enough. And here he is living in fear. He's willing to give up everything to save himself, but himself. And that's where he's at now. And he finds himself all alone, having sinned, and obviously he can't sleep. He can't sleep. He says he's there all alone. And he's in the dark, sitting there all alone, thinking he's fine. And you could probably understand the, the surprise when a man's hand grabs him on the wrist, right? Throws him to the ground. And it says here, a man wrestled with him, wrestled with him until the breaking of the day. When the man saw that he did not prevail against Jacob, he touched his hip socket and his Jacob's hip was put out of joint as he wrestled with him. Then he said, let me go for the day has broken. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. So ultimately here, Jacob's all by himself, hoping Esau is appeased by what he has sent on, not really ready to give up himself. But what Jacob has to realize is he's not really fighting against Laban and he's not really fighting against esau he's fighting against the lord himself in his battle to try to save his own life laban and esau are the least of his worries it's the lord god he has to answer to and here he's sitting here and he's thinking he's battling against these other two and sitting there in fear and all of a sudden the one who he truly is battling with shows up grabs his wrist and they begin to wrestle What we know, if you look down, as Jacob is realizing this in verse 30, for I have seen God face to face. He uses this. And what we understand is who is this Jacob's wrestling with? If you read Hosea chapter 12, an inspired version, it tells him the angel of the Lord had come to wrestle with him. Just as we have seen this angel appear before in Genesis chapter 18 when Abraham was under the trees at Mamre looking for some some communion and this one came to him and Abraham said who that one was, right? That's God himself. So Jacob is saying the same thing. And so what we see here is we have what's called a theophany an appearance of God in the Old Testament coming down. But what we have here is a little bit more than that. We have what's called a Christophany. And everybody understands this, that who this is that's wrestling with Jesus is one of the Godhead. There's three, right? Y'all know this. And Jesus uh, wrestled with Jacob. I said Jesus, I already gave it away. Jesus, the second person of the Trinity, the second person of the Trinity did not start in a, cradle in Bethlehem. Y'all know that, right? He always has been forever. There never was a time when he was not. He always was. And when we see a physical appearance of the Lord in the Old Testament, who we are seeing is Jesus himself. we recognize this, just as Abraham was fed by him outside under the trees in Mamre, just as Jacob wrestled, just as those, uh, those three utes. In the fire, y'all remember, had one walking around with him. These appearances here, these appearances here, physical appearances are of the one who will take on flesh one day for our sins. And so Jacob's wrestling with God himself. He's wrestling with God himself. And this Jacob's a mean one. He doesn't want to submit. But know this, Jacob's not wrestling with God ultimately. It's God who's wrestling with Jacob. Jacob's hoping he can get out of this thing alive. He thinks his greatest enemy is Esau. But what happens here is the Lord says, no, I'm the one you've got to contend with. And the Lord comes after him. Now the Lord God could have left Jacob alone. He could have let Esau deal with him. He could have left him just where he was in his fear and trembling. But the Lord God came to him. Now I want to put that in perspective for us is because we all at one time in our life we're sinners. We still are, by the way. Don't y'all get over that. But we were sinners when we were happy and healthy with Him. We were happy in our sin. You see, what the Bible says in Romans chapter 3 is that no one seeks after God, right? No one f- looking for Him. That what happens to us is not that we go looking for God, it's that God came looking for us. And that is the ultimate point of grace. Grace is not just in the fact that, that we went looking for God and God said, okay, I'll let you have me. Grace is in the fact that we were lost in our sin and undone and couldn't find ourselves at all. Not only could we not find us, but we couldn't find the Lord. He came and hunted us down. Have y'all ever heard the old preacher talk about the hound dog of heaven? Y'all ever heard that? The Holy Spirit who comes after us, pursues us, and goes. Look at Jonah. Jonah thought he could get away, but that joker caused a hurricane and had a fish swallow him. The Lord went and got him, right? And so it is with us. Even when I was in my sin, when I was a young age and a sinner that needed salvation, the Lord came to me. And you know how he came to me? With a sweet grandmother telling me about the gospel. With a mom and dad who told me of who Christ was and that I needed him and I had to give my life. That's how he pursued me. And each one of us has a story of how God came after us. But it was not the case that you were simply looking for him. He came for you. And so it is here. This is not Jacob looking for a wrestling match. This is God going and getting Jacob. And Jacob was willing to give up everything with himself. And he was contending against everybody else, but it was God he had to deal with. And he was willing to give it all up just to protect himself. But the Lord is saying, you're not going to get a thing, Jacob, until you're ready to give up yourself. Until you're ready to give up yourself. And Jacob was a hard one. Some of us are. And they wrestled all through the night. And what happens? What happens? While they're wrestling through the night, the Lord touched his hip socket, and Jacob's hip was put out of joint as he wrestled with him. Two things I want to say. I don't mean it this way. I heard somebody say it this way. Let me say this. And if it's if y'all don't like it, we'll edit it out in the video and we'll forget about it. <laughs> God does not play fair. And what I mean by that, it's He don't go by our rule book. You know what I mean? We may look at this and say he's contending with him and the only way the Lord could beat him was to put his hip out of socket. That's not fair. I'm going to tell you all this. In any scenario, in any case that the Lord may be wrestling with you, in any position you may be in with him, you are not going to win. The Lord will win. And here's why I say praise God he does not play by our rules because the cross did not fit into our narrative. Y'all know what I mean by that? We would have never figured that out on our own. We would have never understood that. We could have never come up with that plan. That doesn't seem like it's fair in the rule book that he would send his son to redeem us and save us and take on flesh. That doesn't seem right. It was right. That didn't go by human rules. But God says my wisdom is greater than yours. And any time we wrestle with the Lord, the Lord will win. And we better hope the only thing that happens to us is we get up and walk with a limp. For Jacob knew that day, when you meet God face to face, you don't walk away the same. You're coming away different. You're coming away different in many ways. And it would be better for Jacob, and he knew it. It's better for him to go to heaven with a limp than to run happy and healthy into hell. Amen? Jacob said at the end of this, wrestling with him all night long, the Lord said, Let me go. And what did Jacob say? Here, by the way, I believe the turning point, the pivot, the place, the time that Jacob finally understood what it meant to submit. When he finally, if we want to put it in our language, he became a Christian at this point. Jacob said, I'm not letting you go. That's the point, my friends. In each and every one of our lives that we truly become children of God. When we recognize we got no other place to turn. We got nothing else to hold on to. And the last thing we can ever possibly do is let go of the Lord. I'm not letting you go. Let me go. I'm not letting you go until you bless me. I'm not leaving this place, Lord, until I get your approval. Till you bless me. Till you tell me. Jacob in that moment was submitting knowing That his great enemy was not Esau, it was the Lord himself, and he didn't want him to be an enemy anymore. Lord, I don't want to leave this place your enemy. Bless me. Bless me. What did the Lord ask him? What's your name? Tell me your name. And what did Jacob say? Jacob. Y'all remember what Jacob's name meant? Deceiver. Deceiver. What's Jacob admitting here? The Lord's making him admit, I'm a sinner. What's your name? I'm a deceiver, deceiver. And when he admits it, the Lord says, your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel. For you have striven with God and with men, and you have prevailed. Did that mean Jacob won? Yes, but Jacob won by losing. There's the great paradox of the Christian faith. That what looks like success to the world is really failure. What looks like failure to the world is really success. The cross looked like he failed. God doesn't play by the rules. Y'all remember Carmen? God rest his soul, Carmen died. Y'all remember Carmen? Y'all don't know who Carmen is? Okay, Carmen. He used to do songs. You could act them out and skits with them. Y'all don't remember that? Okay. Did I catch y'all off guard or something bringing up Carmen? Y'all wasn't expecting that. Carmen used to have a song called The Champion. Y'all remember that one? Oh, man, I loved it. Because Satan battles with Jesus. It's like they're in a boxing ring. It's really I don't even know if it's biblical, but, man, it's cool. It's biblical in a big part. It's like they're battling in a boxing ring and fighting, and Satan knocks Jesus out. Y'all remember that? And Satan's celebrating the victory. Jesus has been knocked out. And then y'all remember what happened next? You hear God counting. And how did God count? Ten. Ten. Nine. Y'all, y'all that's my God voice. Nine. <laughs> eight. He starts counting backwards, right? And Satan's so like, why are you counting backwards? You know, what, what's going on? Because God don't play by your rules, Satan. And at the end, at one, what happens? Jesus rises again. See, ultimately, that's what we see with Jacob. The paradox is that what this world thinks is success, what this world thinks is success is truly Failure. And if we think our enemies are of this world, anybody, any men, anything, then we've missed the whole point. The one we must have approval of, the one we strive against in our sin, is the Lord God. And that's the one we have to wrestle with. And until that moment where we grab a hold of Him and say, I will never let you go, you are not my enemy anymore, I want your blessing, till that moment, we keep striving against the wind. But in that moment, and the moment we finally submit ourselves completely to the Lord, not just our stuff, all to Jesus, I surrender. The moment we truly mean that and quit singing lies and sing the truth in our heart, all to Jesus, I surrender. All to him, I freely give. I will ever love and trust him in his presence daily live. The moment we truly surrender to him by giving up ourselves is the moment we truly have found victory. And we prevail. And that's what Jacob learned at that moment. That's what Jacob learned at that moment. Jacob called the name of the place Peniel, saying, For I have seen God face to face, yet my life has been delivered. The sun rose up upon him as he passed Peniel, limping because of his hip. That joker limped for the rest of his life. You meet God, you're going to limp. Therefore to this day the people of Israel do not eat the sinew of the thigh, that is the hip socket, because he touched the socket of Jacob's hip on the sinew of the thigh, always reminding them that Jacob, the one who became Israel, the father of the nation, wrestled with God, wrestled with God and submitted himself to him. Submitted himself to him. What changes? Verse chapter 33 And Jacob lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, Esau was coming, and 400 men with him. So he divided his children among Leah and Rachel and the two female servants. He put the servants with the children in front. When Leah with her children and Rachel and Joseph last of all, he himself went on before them. Y'all see that? What was his plan? I'm going to stay back here. Y'all go tell me how it goes. But after he wrestled with the Lord, it changed his plans. And now he meets it face to face because he knows he doesn't just go in himself. Esau's no longer the bigger threat. The Lord is on his side. He goes before them, bowing himself to the ground seven times until he came near to his brother. I truly believe this image that we have here of Jacob wrestling with the Lord himself in some way reflects every single one of us. And hopefully I've shown that a little bit tonight of how we strive against the Lord to surrender our lives to Him. Surrender our lives to Him. But what we know is, we do not battle flesh and blood. And what we may fear in this world really is not the things we need to be scared of. What we should be scared of, what we should be fearing truly, is an eternity separated from God. Eternity lost in our sin eternity trusting in what we have. We should be fearing the fact that we're going happy and healthy into hell. And it is better for us. It is better for us to give ourselves completely over to the Lord. And yeah, we wrestle and we struggle in this process sometimes, but when we give ourselves completely over to the Lord, we surely may walk with a limp, but we walk with Jesus when we do. We walk with him. And it changes the way we act. It changes our understanding of life. And it gives us a purpose, a purpose now to move forward following after Him, trusting Him to face even our greatest enemies on this earth, trusting Him in those things. And I pray that's the case for all of us. I pray that you'll be praying that that'll be the case for our students this week. Some of them surely are striving against the Lord themselves, and that the Lord will open their heart, open their heart. They may come back with a limp. Don't be surprised if your kids come back with a limp. But thank God for it when they come back limping for Jesus. We don't face him. We don't meet him and come back the same. He changes us. He changes us. And that's good. Let's pray together. Father, thank you so much for your kindness to us, for your word. May we rejoice in it. Thank you, Father, that you came after us even when we weren't looking for you. Thank you, God, that Christ Jesus didn't play by our rules But Father, he came in the wisdom of God to redeem us from the curse of sin. And so now, God, may we all in this room be able to sing, I surrender everything. I surrender all to Christ. It's in his name we pray for all this in Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen.